Thank you for listening to the following films podcast. Today, my guest is Checo Verez. I had Checo on the show today to talk about his latest project, Dope Sick, which is scheduled to premiere on Hulu on October 13th. The series stars and is an executive produced by Michael Keaton and directed by Barry Levinson and Danny Strong. As sole director of photography, Verez photographed all episodes of Dope Sick. I hope you enjoy the show. Big thanks to Bookmans for sponsoring it, and thanks to Fort Worth for letting me use the song at the end. Enjoy the show. Hey. Hey, how are you today? Very good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for taking time out of your Sunday afternoon to do this. I really appreciate it. No, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, this was uh, a a project I've been interested in um, because I honestly feel like this is one of the most important stories of the last 20 years um, where I just finished uh, American overdose earlier this year. And then about a week ago, I read empire of pain. And so this is something that I've been very interested in this particular story. um, But I felt like maybe I'd had enough of it. And apparently there were um, a humanization of it that I hadn't anticipated with this that I really appreciated. So it's got a congratulations on the piece of what I've seen so far is really impressive. Thank you so much. Uh, let me ask you a couple of questions. One is, is this only recorded or is video too? No, no, no. It's just the audio. Um, oh, I only perfect. turn I only turn on the video so that we uh, perfect. can see so we each know other. each other. Yes. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Great, great, great. great. Um, yeah, it's a it's a fascinating story, and it's being neglected by everyone in so many years that. I don't know, you know, it's everybody gets touched by it. We, we were a crew of 120 and everybody had a cousin, a mother, a neighbor, a someone that got either died or hooked up or is still hooked up or, and it's fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. And you're shooting this um, in the middle of the pandemic. And so, and the, we've had as a nation, there's been this relapse with opioid abuse that it's, you know, we felt like we were moving forward on it. And there's been several setbacks in the last you know year and a half now at this point. Um, is that something that you were thinking about while you were shooting this kind of the current state of things? I don't know. I think, uh, I think it always was in our heads. It, it the, Starting from the beginning, I mean, the, the fact that the pandemic, that, that we shot during the pandemic, it has to do with the need for life and the need for, for future. You know, the fact that we were able to do it during this, this hiatus in humanity, if mm. you want to call it that way. You know, I guess my ancestor lived through the First World War and there was a hiatus in humanity there. In the Second World War, there was another hiatus in humanity there, you know, and the fact that we were able to do it, I think it was sort of a, the hope was very patent and we were forgetting that we had masks and shields and gloves and don't talk, don't touch, don't get close to anyone. You know, how do you say hello to people? You you end up inventing this elbow thing, which is very awkward because somebody extends the hand and you extend the elbow. And and all of that became normal. What didn't became normal is the stories of these people that imagine, you know, I'm not a 
an organized religion believer, but imagine if you're an organized religion believer and your rabbi tells you this is very good for you and your priest tells you this is very good for you and your doctor tells you this is very good for you. It's going to be great for you. And then all of a sudden you die of it or you yeah. get addicted to it. And some doctors did it unwillingly and completely oblivious of the knowledge. And unfortunately, some others did it knowingly, you know. And, and it was fascinating how to, how to try and tell the story without, without getting in, 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 in your face too much and just being a, a, a witness of this disaster, you know. Oh, and I think that's where this, this series is very successful in that I think we all know pieces of the story, but we make shortcuts and assumptions around the people that were abusing, around the doctors that were over-prescribing. You know, um, I, I think I first became aware of this because of a Vice documentary um, called the Oxycontin Express that was talking about the um, pill mills in Florida and how they were all heading backwards up to Appalachia at that point. And it was, it was very clear at that point that there was more to this story than what I knew about, but it had this very narrow view of it and that it really, we saw this in this country and I'm glad that it's pointed out. This was very similar to the crack epidemic epidemic um, of the eighties where these towns were being destroyed by it, these inner cities, these areas, but now it was these rural communities that felt it was something different that was happening here. And, but because it was co-signed by the FDA uh, by the pharmacist and by your doctor that you trust implicitly that it was so much scarier. And I also think it's, first of all, it's still ongoing. Yes, you go yes, very doctor, much so. Yeah. You go to a doctor and say, doctor, you know, my shoulder hurts. Oh yeah, of course, 80 milligrams of tricotine, get two of them. That, that hasn't changed. Right. I mean, it will change because of the knowledge you and I have. And I don't know if you have kids, but my daughter... That, that's, will, yes, they won't, no. Yeah, my daughter will never smoke a cigarette. Yeah. Ever. Ever, you know. Your, your kids will never have Oxycontin because you will tell them. They, unfortunately, they'll have something else, but not that. Yeah. But I, did, I think this, is, this series, hopefully, it's a watershed for... Because hopefully everybody will see it. Hopefully we'll talk about it. And I was talking to Danny Strong, the writer and creator the other night we had dinner and he, what he was saying is we, the, the, the settlement of the, of the bankruptcy mm -hmm. uh, just came out the other day. Um, and basically what, what that is, is the Sattler family will give $4 billion in the next 10 years to the states and this. Nobody's gonna go to jail, they can live their lives, blah, blah, blah. And I did the math with Danny and I said, okay, $4 billion come out of their half of the interest of the money they have. It's not mm -hmm. like they lose money. It's not like they won't be able to buy milk tomorrow. It's just, they won't be able to buy, to buy 10 private jets. They'll buy only four, <laughs> you know? <laughs> they won't be yeah. able to buy three new yachts. They'll buy only two new yachts. You know, right. and, and, and unfortunately, the apartment in Paris, they wanted to do a renovation. They won't be able to do a renovation of the apartment in Paris. So it will have the, the doors of last year. When, when, when your lifestyle is defined with billions 
in the number. Do you even notice when 1 billion is gone? How does that impact your life? It can't, can it? It's like you and I. You and I have a very strong conversation with ourselves and our wives, whether we should change the car. Yeah, yes, very much so, yes. And I may even have a strong conversation whether I should change the iPhone to the iPhone 12 because it's still a thousand bucks. Yeah. But I don't call my wife to ask her whether I buy two pounds of oranges versus one pound of orange, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, a billion for them is the pound of oranges. <laughs> it's just obscene, that level of It's Completely. If your hobby is to take your rocket ship to the moon, that's obscene. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that, that's no, no. That that's what's left for those guys at that point. It's like, well, what yeah. else can I do? Well, I guess I'll take a penis and fly it to space. So that that's where exactly. certain yeah. <laughs> with a for the, cowboy hat for of all things. Yeah. you know, it's like why not? Yeah, why not? <laughs> Very expensive cowboy hat. But anyway, God, yeah. So, how did you come on to this project? Um, can you talk a little bit about how yeah. you ended up working I, on this? I, I'm, I'm married to a to a very prolific uh, director, Patricia Regan. We did the 30- directed your episodes, right? Yeah. Yeah. We did the thirty three together. We did many many movies together, and Danny Strong and her did a pilot, which I participated a few years ago. Presume innocent. They became friends. And Danny offered her, mentioned to her this show. And, um, and she said, oh my God, this is a great show. This is a show that it's everything you want to do. Um, yes, I do horror. Yes, I do action. But my favorite movie is still All the President's Men. And, and, I, and the literally, that's the, the thing Condor. I was thinking about when I was watching this was All the President's Men. It's on that. Yeah, and yeah sorry. Yes. The Condor and... Yeah. and, and, and Name it. I mean, the seventies, uh, uh, the the the, the, oh the God. paranoid thrillers like the exactly. Parallax View, I, the I'm conversation. I'm thinking about one in particular, um, the Deer Hunter. The Deer yeah. Hunter, sure. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The Deer Hunter and the Informant. I mean, that's the movie I love. Yes, very much. I mean, I, I'll go and watch uh, the Black Widow, of course, and have a thrill. And then I also go to Six Flag and go up and down in the things, which is pretty much the same. But those are the movies I love. So when, when that project came up, I said to Danny, listen, we're friends. If there is a space for me to pitch to whoever your director may be for the pilot, I would love to do that. And then a few months later, Danny said, well, uh, Barry Levinson is the director of the pilot and <laughs> like the hair in the back went like this and I'm like yeah. oh god you know and I did what I do which is I read the scripts I did a little research I don't quote movies usually I quote more still photographers and painters and articles sure. it's very hard to quote a movie Barry may have loved the deer hunter or may have hated it because he wanted to do it and nobody gave it to him I, whatever you know, you don't know. You never know. So right. you quote, you know, you quote Steve McCurry, Sebastian Salgado, you could steal photographers. So I did a little presentation. I quoted some things and I got in my head two movies. And I thought the, the miners world, the, the, the Appalachian world yeah. looks like the deer hunter. This sort of very intimate yet curious camera that mm-hmm. portrays the life of these people without the gimmicks of 
uh, a switch zoom and a thing it, it just not when they go to vietnam it's a different story but that part and the other the other movie that to me has marked me as a cinematographer and as a viewer also is uh the informant you know dante yeah. spinotti michael Mann. so i had those in my back pocket and then when barry asked me i said well dear hunter and the informant you know and the president, all the president's men, because all this research in front of the computers and the phone and the thing and the long ceilings and the fluorescence. And, mm -hmm. and he was in love with it. Five minutes later, Danny called me, Barry wants you to do the show. They asked me if I wanted to do all of eight, the eight. Mm -hmm. And it was a task because it was what we call in the film business cross-boarding. So directors were, I had a director in the yep. morning and another director at lunch and another director in the afternoon because... Michael Keaton only had X amount of time. Uh, Sasgard had X amount of time. Rosario Dawson had, so we had to cross board. So I basically shot 120 continuous days, including Saturdays and some Sundays. We didn't shoot Saturday and Sunday, but I was working Saturday and Sunday. So I finished and I took a week off in my bedroom. I closed the door. I started crying and literally slept for 120 hours, you know, so. How much of that is exhaustion? How much of that is just the weight of the material that you've been working on for a half year at this point? Most of it is exhaustion. And let me tell you one thing that happens. I am a news cameraman by heart. Mm. I'm not a cinematographer. I started as a documentary cameraman. I became a war correspondent for 14 wow. years. When you have a camera, the camera is your filter. This little viewfinder filters you. It doesn't mean you don't feel, you feel, but you only feel what you see. You don't feel hmm. what you don't see. So I remember being in Rwanda in 94 and being there for 72 hours, walking among people that were killed. And I don't remember any of it. I just remember at the very end, I sat down in a corner and I started crying and vomiting and crying and coughing and crying. And yeah, the material is very heavy, but you, you have to put a filter and the filter, it's your savior. If not, you cannot be a fireman. If not, you cannot be a, a nurse. It doesn't mean the nurses don't have PTSD. But you don't have PTSD right there. You have PTSD later. You don't have time for it right then. But no, no, no. Then you don't do your job. Right. But it was the most amazing thing was to see the talent of, and I'm going to miss half of them, but Michael Keaton, Rosario Dawson, Sasgard. I mean, everybody, top to bottom. The, the, the people with the smallest roles in this are phenomenal. I mean, uh, people. People yeah. that I've never seen before, people that I've seen a million times, everybody's amazing in this thing. It's 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 one of those films that, like a all the president's men, where at, at, from the from your lens, from what you're doing, everything's theme feels like it's motivated around the character, around the story, around the emotion, around that truth of the piece, and that seems like what was the guiding light of this whole thing. And that's what, yeah, it's and it just comes through how important performance was here. And also, I have to say there, there was a very strong, like his last name, uh, uh, a hand by, by Danny Strong yeah. in the casting, in the camera language, 
in the reality, the, it has to be believable. The believability was the mantra. If I don't believe it, I, the audience won't. You know, there is no need for this camera move because it's distracting from the story. And actually, there is need for this camera move because there will be a little zoom in, very 70s. We embrace the zoom as a tool. Uh, this very short zoom in into somebody thinking, you know, this very, yeah. or this pull out in somebody being relieved or this static. Uh, I describe the, the camera in, 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 I don't, I, mean, I don't do anything. I, I just, I just, I sort of found this way of describing the camera in Dopesick as a curious camera. It's a camera that is curious of what mm. the eye wants to see, you know? And it's very interesting, and that requires a lot of guidance from Barry or Michael Cuesta or Patricia Regan or Danny Strong. I was proposing, and sometimes we did, starting in a dialogue, and you hear the voice, and you see Richard Sasser saying something, and then you pan away from him, and you keep hearing him, but you're interested in what the reactions of the other people are. Instead of doing the dialogue here and cutting to them, there was mm -hmm. this this very curious camera that I thought it was very efficient, effective for Dopesick, you know, because it's about conveying hours and hours and hours of research and, and data. And how do you make interesting 500 milligrams of oxycotin, the, the, the whatever, the curve and the pung and the 12 hours relapse? I mean, that is material for a master class in some medical school in Kentucky. You know? sure. And Danny made it alive and made it interesting. And, and Patricia Michael and, and Barry Levinson made it fascinating as a filmmaker. You well, the, there was one line in the book, Empire of Pain. I don't know if you've read it or not, that stood out to me where it I basically, read, I, yeah, it, it, it's where it talks about, it's a Richard um, Sackler. Uh, Sackler. Yeah, he has the speech in front of all the salesmen and it gives the words of the speech, the exact verbatim, what he said in that speech. And you're like, okay, those words are good. It sounds like a decent speech, but then the reaction is written about the way that the speech itself was poorly delivered and how he was somebody who could never talk in front of people. And these people are in his back pocket and they're enthusiastic, but it's still kind of like falling flat. And that performance is absolutely in that in, throughout this entire series. That's him in a nutshell. And it's, a, it's well, amazing. He did what the actor did. Yeah. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. It's I one of the to, best performances I've seen this year. Legitimately. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And I have to say also in the nuances and the little things. Peter Sasgar was fascinating. Mm -hmm. He didn't do anything and the next take he didn't do almost anything and the next take he really didn't do anything and the following take he did a little more every single one of them was a master class on minimalism mm -hmm. and it was fascinating you, you, you couldn't stop watching him well it's when when you have and that's what to get to, to your end of things, when you have that kind of performance and you have really slick camera work around it, 
it can be distracting. You don't need to have a 360 degree shot around this. That's oh, no. for the sake of look what I pulled off with a bunch of mirrors in the room where you're basically showing off. It's no, you support the actor, you support the performance and it's invisible and then it's powerful. And it has to be invisible. Yeah. And, and, and I have very eager collaborators and, 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 and operators that say, well, we should we, I'm like, shh, 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 shh. No, 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 no. <laughs> just sit there and, and witness, make sure you witness in a proper way. But or or other or otherwise, you know, do this. But it it's not a show off. I mean, uh, the, 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 I, I assure you, you watch it and you won't remember what you saw. You just remember what you felt, and that's what really what I wanted. You know, I I couldn't wow. come out of it saying, "Oh my God, that camera movie is amazing! How did they do it?" Who gives a beep, beep, beep? You know what I mean? I don't you care. can say it. It's fine. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. You know, it's like, I mean, I'm not comparing it to anything, but I don't know if you remember the the Saving Private Mayan, the, the, the kid goes up the stairs and there is the yes. German with the yes. bayonet. The, 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 goes, with the knife, that moment. Knife, yeah. yeah. And he yeah. goes, and, shh, 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 shh. that's one of the most horrific it's by far scarier than the storming of Normandy. It, to exactly. me, that yeah. by far. What does the camera do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Yep. And that's exactly what you want. And I'm not comparing Dobsake to that, but what I'm saying is exactly that. The camera has to be a vehicle for the emotions of the audience. Mm -hmm. If if the vehicle goes to the left and the emotions goes to the right then you did something wrong, you know? Yeah. So it's, it, it is also very hard because it, 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 becomes, it becomes a tour de force on controlling yourself, you know, as a cinematographer. It, comes, it becomes a tour de force of, yes, I know I have a typewriter. Yes, I know I know how to speak English, but I'm not going to write 70 pages. I'm going to write an epigram. I'm going to write a, a phrase with... Uh, rhyme you know mm -hmm. it's like a poem but it's a tiny little poem but that's it you know instead of doing epic poetry a haiku and, exactly and you can carry the same amount of weight but then other time like saving private ryan i think it is that that moment that carries that much weight because of the stillness but it's also because of the juxtaposition of everything around it the how frenetic the opening is and how he has these long beautiful shots after that and then it just it's this quiet still John Williams is gone, everything. It's just this moment where you're just exactly. left there to still, and you do similar things here in a different way where you'll have these static shots where you sit in the boardroom and it's just that family sitting around the table and these things, and they're just all sitting in this moment for a second. You allow us to dwell in that. And those are the things that really hit you. Um, you know, I'm, and as an audience member, you don't, you're not aware of it in that way because it's not calling attention to itself. Yeah. And, and Patricia has, in episode six or five, there is three lawyers on one side, three lawyers on the other mm -hmm. side, uh, and there is a square table, and, and you start seeing, and we talked about it, and you start, then again, quoting movies that are fantastic, and I don't pretend to, to, to even get close to them, but 12 Angry Men, you know, it starts yes. camera higher and you see the lawyers and you cut to the other one and the camera is lower. And at the end, one is the hero and one is the villain. And we did it subconsciously. And I think the whole scene has four pages of dialogue and three camera positions. 
you know, and that's it. You don't, of course, you can shoot it a la action movie and that and have 17 camera positions and a camera that goes between the legs of the table and shows up on the other side. That's another style. But this is not this movie, you know. No, no, not at all. And I and I, I'm glad that you brought up 12 Angry Men because there, there's the type of film that as far as invisible. Um, artistry behind the camera that's absolutely going on there, but you're not aware of it because it's all supporting performance because that's essentially just a movie in one room the entire time, just a group of 12 guys arguing and yeah. it's utterly compelling and it still works. You could, and, but you never, if the camera's not doing certain things and moving and editing, you can feel stagey. You can feel like somebody just set up a video camera in a black box and that can be distracting in its own way but your film never feels that way. That film never feels that way. And I, I feel like sometimes performance can tra transcend the medium, yeah. but I don't think that this is something where that's, while the performances are incredibly strong here, I think that there is very clear intentional style that's on display as well. And it was, it was a clear decision by Barry, myself, Danny, or Barry, Danny, myself, uh, the production design was wonderful. Neil Spaciak did an amazing job and, and, and the wardrobe was amazing. You know, it's amazing in its simplicity. You know, it's like yeah. there's hundreds of people, the jackets and ties. I don't even know how many jackets were in that warehouse. You know, I ended up inheriting one, you know what I mean? In a tie. Yeah. Uh, and everything is perfectly balanced because one looks a little more slick and the other one looks like slick and and i think that it's a, a, the magic part of this new medium which is the eight hour movies you know or the 10 hour movies or the 15 hour movies you know and, and it, it's a new world we're facing that it's a very interesting world well it's the thing is though a lot of times when you have these limited series there'll be two three episodes sometimes that feel unnecessary that feel like okay you could have cut that out there's this sidebar that goes on for too long. It doesn't feel essential to the story, but really here, I feel like this story would have been done a disservice by being a two hour, three hour movie that you went to see theatrically because you get to spend that time in Michael Keaton's shoes and see yeah. his progression down this path and his, yeah. he, you get to see his fall and ultimate redemption in the end. And I think that's a really powerful arc to witness. And you see that with multiple characters here. One thing Danny was saying the other day that is very interesting is that for some people, the results of the legal battles of the Sassler family in reality, like in the newspaper yesterday sure. or whatever, two weeks ago, wasn't a closure, wasn't enough. Because they should have, they wanted more and they wanted them in jail and they wanted the Enron example and they wanted the, the buildings to be confiscated and whatever yeah. rightfully so and Danny was saying that everybody's waiting for this as a closure for their tragedy yeah. and I hope it gives them some kind of a closure because Danny and we expose the evilness and, and the collusion between the authorities or some authorities I wouldn't call it authorities I would say the system you know it's, it's not an individual it's the system no. that is corrupt you know it's like we all knew gasoline was bad. We just were convinced that was the only way. We all knew right. 
tobacco was bad. We just, nobody told us, you know, we all knew oxycotin was bad. It just, nobody actually assumed and we gave them permission and not only permission, but blessing it and labels, you know. I don't and think what, it's one individual, I think it's the, the, if God is the shareholders, then everything else suffers, you know. Hmm. The, the shareholders yeah. cannot be the ultimate good. Society needs to be the ultimate good. Agreed completely. And it's, it's odd that you, you phrased it that way, that it was put that way, that you were looking at this as a closure, because I've been looking for that. I think even though this is not something that I personally struggled with or have direct connection to anyone that's had this, it's been so omnipresent though in our society that it's been impossible to ignore. And you look at the things that created this and then you see a lack of justice and you're right. We do need this closure. I've been, every book that comes out, I read it, every article I'm on it and I'm looking and I'm not even conscious that that's what I'm looking for, but you're right. That is absolutely what I've been looking for with this. And I hope it gives some form of a closure. I come from a continent, I'm South American and, and we tragically invented the word desaparecidos, not the disappeared. Yeah. And people don't have a closure because they don't see the body of their loved ones or they cannot bury them or they don't have a closure and there is hope. And the closure in some cases was, you know, the judgment of this particular general that one ended up in jail or even if he didn't end up in jail, he was, you know, emaciated and, and, and insulted in the streets by everyone without the stars in the shoulder. And I think what people is looking for is this kind of, okay, they were guilty. We just couldn't yeah. find them guilty. We just couldn't do anything about it, but they were guilty. And that's what, or I think they were, at least that's what Danny says and what the book says. Uh, I hope they are. Uh, but <laughs> I'm convinced at this I'm point. Convinced certainly, too. Yeah. I'm just leaving the, uh, <laughs> the option, but it, it, it is, it has to be a, sorry. My daughter is sending me text. Give me a second just to figure no, out. You're fine. You're fine. Today's episode of the Following Films podcast is brought to you by Bookman's. So this conversation that I had with Checo uh, was great. I really enjoyed talking to him. But there was part of the conversation that we had off mic where we were talking about being parents and how we have devices that track our children's um whereabouts at all times and they're constantly texting us we really know where our kids are uh 24 hours a day and it's just something how is completely uh opposite of how that we were both personally raised and so i was feeling a little bit nostalgic i was wanting to revisit some of the music of my youth and maybe a movie from my youth or a book something like that so i went into bookman's trying to think what would be something that could recapture that feeling of being a teenager again. And for me, the easiest way to get back into that headspace is through music. More than film, more than books, more than any other art that I can consume, music will take me there quicker and with more pure emotions, I think. And so when I went into Bookman's, I started looking through the vinyl and I came across a copy of The Descendants, Milo Goes to College. And if you're not familiar with this 1982 record, it was supposed to be the final record uh, that the Descendants were going to record with Milo Ackerman, the original singer of the band. Um, so it says, uh, in dedication to Milo Ackerman on the back of it, 
uh, from the descendants. And so it's kind of a rest in peace, uh, good wishes. And 40 years later, almost 40 years later, or 39 years from this album being released, they're still putting out music together. And so this was one of the albums that just meant a ton to me when I was in high school. This is something that I would put on all the time. This is probably my favorite Descendants records. Love this band, but this album is just amazing. Um, Side 2 has Suburban Home as well as Bikeage on it, which are two of my favorite songs. And then Myage is the one on Side 1 that starts out the record. So really, this is one of those ones, a lot of albums, I will tend to favor one side or the other. This is one of those rare ones that I actually always flip the record, listen to the whole thing from beginning to end, because it's just a wonderful record. And listening to it now, it absolutely takes me back to that <laughs> that time of my life, that kind of reckless abandon that I had, that feeling of just limitless possibilities that I had when I was a teenager. And God, it's impossible not to be nostalgic when I listen to this one. And I'm sure you have albums or music or books or movies, something like that, that uh, have a similar impact on you. And I can hear my son calling for me in the background right now, but just remember, Bookmans, they have your cool covered. Jakey, do you have something you wanted to say to the people? Yes. So my question is for the people. So my question for you too and the people. So um, I want to build a rocket, really. Jakey wants to build a rocket. Gotta go. Hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Thanks. And I was reading that now you can order Oxycontin at home. You're kidding me. No. There is a thing and a way to do it and you get pharmacies that they, it shows up in your house. We haven't learned anything. Oh, no, of course not. Well, because I'm, it's about the shareholders. It's not yeah. about, yeah. It's the bottom line. And I think that, that when you deal with this amount of money, um, these little individual decisions are made that the humanity is completely wiped from it of what, how it's the people that it's impacting because it's a spreadsheet. It's not a person. And it's fascinating because this particular pandemic, which we portray in Dopesick, it's a very unique to North America. Hmm. Very unique. It doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. Right. I mean, other things happen. I mean, you can obviously, you know, buy yeah, drug abuse happens everywhere, but yeah. whatever. But this particular organized pandemic by a pharmaceutical company or several pharmaceutical companies, it's exclusive to the United States. Not even in Canada happens. I mean, they have no. an issue with other things. They don't have an issue with opioids. In that it belongs directly to the Sackler family and their doings. Well. Yeah, that's that's that that's it. But there's a societal thing with the way that we handle regulations that they they just were able to take advantage of that. And they were able to step in, and it was only a matter of time before somebody or some organization did because it was there for the taking. Um, there's simple things. Um, having my family, my mom's side of the family is from England, and when I talk to them and or when they come over here, they're blown away that medicine is advertised on television, that you can see drug ads on TV. They're like, what is this? This is Why? crazy. 
And, yeah. so, and it's totally normal to me. And then I didn't see that until an outsider came in and said, no, this is wrong. And you're like, my God, you're right. This is completely, this is backwards. Yeah, completely. Because you shouldn't be a business. No, no. Yeah. I, and I'm not anti-business. I'm fine. No, with, no, there's, no, just, no, no. There's, there's just certain things that when you add profit into it, it's just they get abused. And there's certain things where you have to keep the humanity and what you're doing, uh, that has to be the North Star. And when you're yeah. talking about medicine, it has to be that. You know, when you're yeah. talking about police department, when you're talking about prisons, like when you make those things for profit, they just they get ugly really quickly. Or, or yeah, prisons and, and, and police departments and, and fire departments and trash, re- trash collection. I mean, that yeah. is a duty. I mean, we all should do a social service and you know, you get out of school and you go a month to be a nurse, a month to collect trash and a month to be a fireman, you know, and after those three months or three years, whatever, or six months, then you can be a part of the society. You know, we used, to do, the, we used to do the conscription, which was wrong and bad, but we should do a civil conscription, you know, I, which is what I did in my country. I ended up being, having to teach, I spoke Italian and having to teach in poor colleges, uh, poor kids another language, you know, and I did it for three months because that was what it was required. Mm-hmm. And I didn't find it offensive, but some of my colleagues were devastated because it's like, oh my God, these poor people are going to be contagious of something. But, but it's, it's, it's fascinating how they got away with it, you know, and as I said, 50% of their interest is going to go into paying and the other 50% is going to buy them another yacht, you know. That's it. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's insane that we're still in the middle of this. I'm just glad that things like this make us a little bit more aware so that, like you said, our kids won't have this. Um, me and my wife, we have those conversations when our kids hurt themselves. We're not going opioid. It's just, it won't be that direction. It'll be other ways that, you know, that the, they talk about the German idea that pain is a part of healing. And I, I've come around to that, that I think that, yeah. that is true. It, it, you know, there is acupuncture and there is ibuprofen yeah. and there is, you know, the, the stick between <laughs> your teeth, you know, it's like, yeah. yeah. And, and I, I have a personal example of that. I, I broke my hand in a shoot in, in, in New Orleans a few years ago and I broke, like, it's, I fell and I broke like boxers. So I ended up in a hospital and a week later I ended up with a doctor and I said to the doctor I I don't take opioids I don't take anything just give me yeah yeah don't worry about it don't worry about it take two of these tonight and I'm like yeah okay what is this no 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 don't worry about it just take two because it's gonna hurt and I was dumb enough and this is 10 years ago not to know what it was so I opened it I took two at night I went to bed I ended up talking to my dead deceased father sitting at the end oh of my bed. God. I ended up in the lobby of the hotel with a blanket crying and saying, I haven't taken any drugs. I'm allergic to this. Don't call the cops. So sorry. I just can't be alone in my room. Oh my I God. 240 milligram oxycodone. I could have died. Yeah. And I called the next day and said, Oh, when you when you fill up the prescription, you, you put you didn't put, but I told you, well, I mis- have under, misread, misunderstood. Oh my God. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. Uh, yeah. I mean, um, 
briefly, I, my only experience with opioid was I, my hand scarred. I was in a fire. And yeah. so I was hospitalized and they had me on a ton of pain medication, opioid based stuff. And when I got out of the hospital, I didn't want to take anything. I never filled my prescription and I went through withdrawal. Um, I understand what kicking the habit means. Now I was literally, I had my restless leg in the middle of the night where I was kicking in the night and I was, I had essentially, well, I, I mean, I guess it would have been an opioid addiction that my body was physically of rejecting course. and it was brutal. It was as bad as anything else. Just get, and I was only, that was really three weeks of that. Of, of that level of being medicated under a doctor's care. And it was that hard. I couldn't imagine what these people go through that are dealing with this. It's, it's That's why they never get out, you know? Yeah. Like, but anyway, that is, sorry. No, 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 no. But it's, it's, and what it is, is also, I think the moment it's ripe enough because we're getting out of one side of the pandemic, getting into the other side of the pandemic, and it's all about trust and, 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 and responsibility and humanity. And I think it's a very welcoming, even though it's tragic. My computer is getting crazy. So I'm going to turn off the video for a second. And okay. then, uh, but the, the audio is still there. Um, okay. The humanity of this show hopefully brings closure and brings something to the people, even though we're going to watch it with masks and shields and who knows what else. You know. <laughs> this is a... It's something that I, when I described this to my wife, something that she said she had no interest in viewing, because why would you want to spend your time in that headspace? Why would you want to do that? I'm the type of person that I feel a sense of civic responsibility to understand things that have gone on, those kinds of things. She would much rather just spend her time if she's looking for entertainment and something that's entertaining. And even her, she was walked in and started watching this and sat down with me. And this is something that I think even transcends um, people that are interested in this, even from a, just from a social experiment aspect of it, of where we are. But I think this will appeal to people that are just interested in humanity and in a story about people, because this is a fascinating story. And I think this is executed in a way that people need to see this. Yeah. And I hope... Uh... What, one of the things that I think we were very careful, I'm back, I think, yes, computer is behaving now. One of the things that I think made it, uh, tell you the truth, the first week of prep, the second week of prep, uh, I was scared to death because you read the script and it's fascinating. You know, the script, that I hope when the series come out, they'll publish the script and they will. Uh, or you'll get it in the internet somehow. And you read it and it's fascinating to read. It's one of the best mm -hmm. books I've read. But as a cinematographer, the first instinct is, what the fuck do I do with this? You know, <laughs> oh my God. <coughs> These people are sitting in an office talking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you start glancing into, because the, the, the easy place to go is, oh my God, we'll put a technocrine in, we'll do a shot in the Steadicam, we'll go around the table. Yeah. And you have to eliminate that language from your lexical. You have to choose very carefully. Because I think the more, and, and you very wisely said it before, the more you show off, the less you concentrate. And the performances were amazing and poignant. I mean, Caitlin Beaver was 
unbelievable. Yes. I mean, unbelievable. And her parents, I, the names escape, the actors' names escape. The Mallon family is, it's a proud working class, probably Republican voting, you know. Sure. And they have this daughter that is gay, but then she turns into this monster that steals the jewelry. And, and the father, with all his love, doesn't know how to cope with this. He doesn't have tools. And, and the society at, at large doesn't have tools for him to cope. Because it's 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 a shame, you know. Well, there's to have a daughter like that. There's a moment where you see him come through beyond the religious social upbringing that he's had when she's caused this accident, and she they're in the hospital together, and he just looks at her and says, "It's okay, just tell the truth. Whatever you did, they need to know what happened so that we can get through this." And it's like you can see that is he's going beyond his love there. It goes beyond everything that's told him that her lifestyle is wrong and that everything that she's done. And it's just, you can see that love there is genuine. And I think that's something that we don't see humanity portrayed in people that we disagree with a lot um, right now. And I was, I think it was really good to see. (laughs) So it was good to see that in all these characters with the exception of probably the Sackler family, but I didn't need to see a lot of humans. I didn't need to feel empathy there. I'm, I'm okay and with I don't them think, at an arm's length. I don't think they are anyway, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't think I want to spend time with them anyway, you know? I, I would pass. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Oh, I'm sure I'm missing a great dinner, but thank you, you know? <laughs> like, or, or, you know, I, I'd rather spend time with the, I remember when I said I was a news cameraman and, and everybody wanted to be with the prime ministers other than a few, a handful of them, you know, when I did the, the, the half an hour uh, documentary for president, then Senator Obama, I was fascinated by them, by both of them. Mm-hmm. But I spent time with prime ministers all over the world. And I remember spending, having a better time with the cooks in the kitchen you know, in, in Tel Aviv asking, oh, how do you, how do you do the hummus, you know? Because that's what humanity is, you know, all these people faking. And, and to me, the Sassler were that, you know, it's, and he knew, and they knew they were doing bad, you know? They, 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 they of course they knew, you know? It's kind of, um, the, there's a moment early on in the series where he looks at this painting on the wall and it's like a $3 million painting or something like that, that he just hates and keeps on the wall. And you think like, these are the quiet moments that you have with your spouse and this is life that you have. I mean, we don't know what that is, but that seems like that it's such a beautiful way to encompass a life that could not be more empty. And so it's, yeah, the, the pursuit of that, of what they, wanted they didn't need for anything they didn't need that they didn't need more it was just a pursuit of more for the sake of it and that's what you're left with and in detriment of eight hundred thousand people that die yes if you count in my core i mean we're immigrants so we're three here family but if i were to go to guadalajara we're 50 people you know Mm -hmm. if one of us is addicted we affect the other 49 100 percent. yes so if 800,000 people die, you multiply that by, I don't know, 10? So it's 8 million people whose lives are affected and shattered and destroyed. 
so they can get two more points in the shareholder thingy, whatever, at the bank account somewhere in Switzerland. It's yeah. Like, it just, it just amazing. And I can't, and I, I just get my head around it because it's sometimes you can see where it's this ego thing and your, your name is on the side of the building and it's this company. There was an intentional disassociation from the Sackler name from Purdue where they distanced themselves intentionally and they, want, they never wanted to take credit for this for so long. So it's not even an ego thing. It's, and you don't need it. I don't know what that is. So I, I think... I think it's, it's, it's the ugly part of, I don't know if there is a good part, it's the ugly part of capitalism. You know, yeah. it's, 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 it's the same thing with, you know, with the, to take it to a context of shooting during the pandemic, you know, uh, the mask wearing is not for me. The mask wearing is for you. And if I wear a mask, is because I don't want you to die. It yeah. doesn't do anything to me. No, nope. I'm vaccinated. Hopefully, I won't die. Yeah. If I wear a mask, it's for you. And if the concept of that doesn't go through your brain, then there is nothing I can do to save you. So in the Sassler family, the concept of... They were all saying publicly and privately that you only get addicted if you have an addictive personality. So it's the fault of, but if you, if you extrapolate to the 2008 crisis of mm -hmm. the financial world, oh, it's the fault of all these borrowers that are- count money they couldn't pay back, yeah. It's not because we pushed the money down her throats and, and, and we convinced them that that was the American way. It's not, and it's never the fault of the system. And it's fascinating coming from outside this is the only country that successfully has done cup shows where the cups are good. And they're very nice. And Starkey and Hutch will save little cats from the rooftops and they were never corrupt and they were very yeah. nice and they drove very fast and never run over anybody. And we successfully done it for 50 years, 60 years. Can you imagine a cup show in Italy? The Italians would laugh. Can you imagine a cup show in Mexico? No, of course not. You yeah. know, they deal with the worst of humanity. So you don't do a, a hero. Of, I mean, you, it's very hard. So we, we never, and, and it's never the fault of the system, it's the fault of the individual. And I think the Sassler embraced that mantra and made it the fault of the actual individual addict. And that's what is tragic. And I think Danny did a fantastic job on reminding us that it's not the individual it's the system it's it's all of us it's the collective thinking that made this possible well there's something that happens um when you admit something that you've done that's wrong when you unburden yourself from guilt when you have a secret inside that you're holding and you've done something wrong whatever that is you know and you tell your parents that you did it or you, you know, you were the one that was late for a project at work and you just say, you know what, I'm owning this. I did this. This could get me in trouble, but I, I can't live with holding on to this information. It's cathartic. It feels better. You know, it's the right thing to do, but I honestly feel like there's something inside us that we do it because it makes us feel better, to be honest, yeah. in those times. 
they'll never never have that moment of catharsis because they're distancing themselves from their guilt. And yeah. they're going to be in a prison of their minds, I think, for the rest of their lives because they'll be that removed from responsibility from everything they've done. They'll never feel whole for as long as they're alive, in my estimation, if they have humanity in them. Yeah, they, they will still have the caviar in the little crackers in the apartment but, in Paris, but... But what, what, is, what is that worth if you're, if you're sharing it with, with exactly. those people? Exactly. I, I mean, I would... Exactly. I, Look, I, I live 60 miles from the Mexican border. I would much rather go have um, a street taco with some with a couple of people that will never have a museum named after them than spend one minute with those people. It was fascinating how we were shooting in a museum in Richmond um, and we couldn't shoot in one. I mean, they were very generous. I mean, within the limits of don't touch, don't do this, obviously. Yeah. I wanted to move one statue <laughs> and I said it as a joke. So can we move the Michelangelo a little bit to the left? They were all like, no, I'm just joking. I'm joking. And there was one part that was in loan by the Met to this gallery in, in, in Richmond. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't show it because the Met got millions from the Sasslers and they're still entangled with them trying to get out of it as much as they can. Haven't they've they had their name removed from it though at the Met, I think the, didn't the they? Met removed it. Yeah, the okay. Met removed it, but this particular piece okay that is was part a, of their collection, the sack okay. A fresco from Egyptian whatever was involved by the Met and the Met was still entangled with the Sassler because the Met is not going to return $80 million or $300 million. They're just going to take the name out of it. You know what I mean? So it, it, it touches everyone, you know, it touches everyone. Wow. Well, yeah. I, this is, I can't recommend this show highly enough. And I'm really looking forward to next month when people will start to see this, because this is just a phenomenal work and you should be incredibly proud of what you've done here. Cause this is, um, I, I honestly was, it was, I was interested to see what Strong was doing. I was interested to see what Levinson was doing, but I had, and I should have known considering it's them that I would have loved this as much as I did, but I was, I've been blown away by this. And I'm really looking forward to the, to not only being a part of those conversations, but just seeing the reactions that people will have to this. Cause I think you've made something really special and you should be proud of it. Thank you so much. I am very proud. Good. And I am proud because if there is anything that anybody can get out of this is the humanity of, civil servant number 428 in some justice department somewhere that gets paid peanuts or or a decent salary but nothing compared and he will pursue justice somehow and there is there is a hope somewhere there you know yeah there's a lot of reason to lose hope right now but there's a lot of reasons to find hope you just have to look for it because yeah. there's there's a lot of good people still doing good work out there. So thank you for the reminder. I appreciate that. Thank you. And thank you for the the the, the conversations and the and the catharsis of this conversation that it oh, helped me you. a lot. Thank you very much. This was a pleasure. And I yeah, I I love the work. So yeah, this please keep it up. And I, I I was wanting to go into 33 i was wanting to talk about it and these other things that you've worked on because i've enjoyed your work for a long time but honestly this is something i was 
blown away we'll by how much. We'll I do it again. We'll do it again. The 33 was a great project. And then was a great project. I'm starting another fascinating project called Daisy Jones and the Six. It's based on a book. Okay. Uh, it's about rock and roll in the 70s, which I don't know anything. The other day, they showed me a picture and I said, who is that? And they say, Stevie Nicks. I'm like, you don't know Stevie Nicks. No, but you don't know half of the Peruvian singers either. So don't blame me. Very good point. <laughs> Can't name one. <laughs> so um, uh, keep an eye for it. It's pretty good. It's really, really, really fun. So I hope I get to talk to you then because, uh, yeah, I would love to. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much, man. Take, Take care. care. Be safe. And get some tacos for me. I, oh, on it. Done. That's dinner tonight. So absolutely. Take Bye. care, man. Bye-bye. Time enough to figure you out. Time enough to write this down. Wish me luck. Give me hope.
Wisecrack.